Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status is the only K-12 data analytics platform designed to turn analysis into engagement. To learn more about how School Status can change your school district, head over to schoolstatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, Episode 65, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. A Florida school district is getting creative when it comes to new teacher recruitment. And a Texas school district is the first to roll out a clever new alert system for emergencies. Stay with us. Class Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we speak with the guests with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, we talk with an expert about practical uses of augmented reality and virtual reality in the classroom. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortigo here, and I'm joined by teacher extraordinaire, Lissa Pruitt. Russ has the uh, day off today, but uh, Lissa, how are you doing? I'm good. How's the car line going? Oh, it's so fun. Is it? I'll tell you what's funny. Let me tell you what's funny, Nick. Okay, every morning, I am a morning person. Yeah. I really am. I mean, I'm smiling. I'm just, I'm sure I get on people's nerves. But I work this spot at the bottom of this ramp. And my job is to make sure that they don't smash into oncoming traffic because they refuse to stop at a stop sign. Wait, wait, wait. who's they? Like the parents. The parents don't yeah. smash into like other vehicles. Yeah, don't well, they need like a? So it's like a T. So they come down this ramp, and there's a stop sign at the bottom of the ramp, and so they don't have the right of way, okay. but they feel that they do so gotcha. much that they've had to position a teacher there rather than put a flashing light. They just stuck you there. Right. So it's a stop sign, and nobody abides by it, and so. Every so often, there can be a car coming from the other direction, and they will smash into it. So me and like my- Like you've seen an accident? They've just told me all about them, okay. and I have stopped myself, my little self. Just in two weeks of school, I've stopped four accidents. Do you get hazard pay in the morning? No. Maybe you should. <laughs> but I do have to wear a safety vest, and so I'm like standing out there, like, stop, stop, you know, because they just, they're so used to coming down that ramp and turning right. So it's very few times that there is a car coming on that opposite direction, but it does happen. There's probably like, I think I count, yesterday I counted 10. Wow. And so there's 10 opportunities for right. a wreck. Every morning. Anyway, so it's so funny because most of the time my position is pointless at the bottom of that ramp until it's like life or death. Right. But they're usually coming in hot because they're late. You know, it gets real hairy around 720. Mm-hmm. Well... Um, I always smile at the people as they come in and wave and smile. You would be amazed at how many people do not wave or smile back. Okay, I'm glad, I'm glad you brought this up. So crazy. I'm just like, oh, okay. Well, okay, I guess if somebody waves and smiles to me, I'm definitely going to wave and smile back. But there is one guy who I pass on um, on the way to dropping off my son at the middle school. And I mean, like, he's like in the middle of the road, like... If I'm not paying attention, you could clip them. Like that's like you, you have to you come right by them. So I mean, basically, at one point when, when my driver, my steering wheel is passing him, I am an arm's width away from the guy. So do I wave to him every time? Is he and, directing traffic? Yeah, he's he, what he's doing. He's standing there to let the buses out when they're when they're coming. Mm-hmm. But other than that, he's just kind of standing in the middle, like dodging traffic from two directions. Does he wave at you? No, he doesn't. But I, I don't blame him because he must have. 500 cars pass them every morning. That's a lot of waving. 
So I guess it's fine. I just feel like, should I have waved or should I not? And if I wave, do I expect them to wave back? Well, here's here's my advice to you. If you could make your face look pleasant, yeah, then you made his day a I little brighter. I can't do that. But if you can't make <laughs> your face look pleasant, then because like so that, there's little kids for, in the back seat, so like yeah. I'm waving. And there's a little precious person in the back seat, like, hey, that's my art teacher, you know? Yeah, yeah. But the parents look like they want to kill me. Like, right. they're like, can't stand that girl, you know? But then there's... But that's not what they're I thinking. I would have to that's say the there's they 95% of them smile and wave. You know, one person rolled his window what down What do they call said, it? RBF? What, it, what do you mean, RBF? You don't know what RBF is? No. Resting B-face? Oh, I don't have one of those. <laughs> yeah, I know, but some people do. <laughs> like, it, they're just resting, but it just looks like they're mean. Right, okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, there have been parents that say like, hey, thank you so much. We appreciate your positivity in the morning. But I want to be like, well, there are about 10 of y'all that are mean. Like to the point that I I will admit I've kind of gone out of my way like to wave a a little more exaggeratedly at them. And they're like stone face, like straight ahead, like, like I'm not there. I'm like, okay, that's fine. Yeah, that's just it. You don't want to make that person who's who's out working hard, make them feel like they don't exist, you know? Right, at the same like time, in I the rain. Yeah, but at the same time, I don't want to make them... <laughs> <laughs> you know, we have had a lot of rain lately. I yeah. don't want to make them feel like they're obligated to wave either because they have to wave 500 times. So yeah. it's kind of like, that's what I'm getting at. And like, I, I really, I just think if anybody in their car had to work a morning post where they had to be there at 6.55 right. in the rain... They would be like, oh, gosh, you know, I appreciate that person. Or same for after school. If any of those people in their cars, that they are the cars that come to Carline, if they had to release 200 children safely within a matter of 20 minutes Mm -hmm. while everyone's mad at them. That's really stressful, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we what we do is nothing short of a miracle. That's why I always ask about Carline, because I really do find it like one of the most fascinating things. And when I set up a time lapse. Well, when I get a drone, I'm going to see if the yes, school will let it. me like fly a drone over a car line. Please do it. I just want to do it without asking permission. Will, and you need to you need to do the drone over the buses to watch right. those little guys get to their bus. Right. It's like ants ascending, you know, on an ant hill, and then everybody goes in the right spot, and then boom, we're rolling. It is. It's impressive. Crazy. I mean, it's it's up there with Disney. It really is. You know, like that Disney might be the only people who could give teachers a run for their money with organizing lines. Yep. And I'm pretty sure if I waved at somebody that worked at Disney, they'd wave back. That's what blows my mind about Disney is the fact that like everyone smiles. They have like thousands of employees and they all smile. I, I was over like 44 employees and none of them smiled. So <laughs> I don't, Starts I don't from the top. Right, apparently. <laughs> probably right. I don't know. So I just should have read some more books from about Disney World. Anyhow, let's jump into the uh, teacher's lounge. What do you know? Well, this is so neat. I, I really am behind this. Florida, Polk County to be exact is starting a teacher academy where your junior and senior year of high school, you can enroll in teacher academy to begin coursework towards a teaching degree. So by the time you enroll in college, after your sophomore year, you are a teacher. Well, wait, so, you, so basically you can be a teacher in two years, but you got to put some work in while you're in high school. Am I, am well, I understanding you right? Yeah, it's still four years. Right. But two of them. But it fast tracks the process, right. kind of. That's right. And they're doing it because they have a teacher shortage, which so does everybody else. Right. But they're saying, well, we got to do something different. We got to we got to get them in. So why not? I mean, of course, a lot of young people are not choosing the role of an educator these days because it's 
not glamorous and the pay is not great. Yeah, and there's Carline. And then and then Carline that oh, yeah. we just spoke about. Um, but if you are a junior in high school and you're not sure that college is really even an option for you and you you could go ahead and get started young. Yeah. When you have all that energy. Right. And go ahead and get started younger and get coursework out of the way. I mean, it's working. All right. That leads me to two questions then. First question is, would you have done that had that been an option? Yes, I would have started. Yes, I would have. Just like kids take college algebra in in high school. Yes, I would have gotten some of those out of the way. I would imagine a lot of them are basic core courses anyway. Right, yeah. So, but some of them may not be. Some of them may be more of like a practicum where you're observing and you're you're more involved in classroom settings. And then you get to college and you get your cores out of the way and then you're done. You've already basically, you did your you did your practicum student teaching stuff more on the front end to even know, do I like this? Well, and that, do this? you might be answering my second question, which is if you had a child who was an entering junior year in high school and they're like, you know what? I want to do that teacher track over at such and such, you know, mm-hmm. school. And would you say, okay, great. Or would you be like, huh, I don't know if I want you to lock in. You're, you're not jun- locked in. So yeah. even if you did a semester and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't stand small people, then, you know, you'd right. be glad you knew that. You'd be glad you found that out. Most teachers leave within their first five years of being a brand new teacher. They leave which the Which is another problem. Which And so they devoted all their college years to that, and then they walked away. So as a parent, yeah, I'd say, let's make sure you really want to do this, and this is a great opportunity to see. But... What this doesn't do is it doesn't address what you just mentioned, which was teachers leave after five years. So it it doesn't fix the retention problem. It just helps with the recruitment part of it. But I guess until we can fix the retention problem, why are teachers leaving? I don't know that we really solve everything. Well, and Polk County, they spoke of that. They spoke about how we've got to raise the pay. You know, we've got to raise the perception of teachers and we've got to raise the support. There's so many lawsuits now in education, mm-hmm. teachers being sued. That'll wear you out. And it does. It scares you because you're left alone in a room with 25 kids and it's very unpredictable. It's not like working in cubicles where everybody's doing their own work and their own job and their own work day. Mm-hmm. You know, we're interacting with 25 small, pe- small individuals and who knows what could happen, and then well, you get sued for it. In some cases, you know. they're big individuals that might be intimidating. True, and know? then and then you turn around and have a lawsuit because right. you know it's so there. That's a huge reason why teachers leave. How much do teachers worry about the proliferation of cameras on all these kids' phones? The I know teachers, you know, you shouldn't be doing anything wrong, but how stressful is it to know that a student can pick up a phone and record you? basically at any moment and edit it, do whatever with it. Just does that feel like it could be a problem to you? Well, to me, I'm not a teacher that would ever probably more likely in high have school. A, yeah. Right. But also I'm not the type of teacher that they would have something to be able to video. I think that's a double edged sword. Right. I think it's in some ways I'm thankful that if there are going if there's going to be people sitting in the classroom asleep or, you know, on their cell phone the whole time, then yeah, don't we want our kids to document that so that we can get them out of there? But then there, of course, then there's that other problem of well, who's going to take their spot? 
mm-hmm. when we get that ineffective teacher out of there. But also it is frustrating when things go wrong that there's tons of cameras there. And, you know, I know my son in high school, he says that that's usually the first thing that said when something happens like a, a fight or whatever, where the teacher immediately says, nobody pull out their phone. Like really? that has to be the first thing they say. Okay. So yeah, it is. So it's a problem. Yeah. Right. For sure. It's a problem. But also I can see where if you have somebody that is doing something that, you know, it's hard to get them out of the classroom, you know, as an administrator that they're ineffective and that they're not doing their part, but it's hard to have that documentation to be able to let them go. Right. Then you got it when, when a little child (laughs) records it. But I mean, I don't, I don't think it's nice when kids, like I know when I used to teach algebra, I would sing songs and make up chants and things to help the kids learn some of the rules. And I know a child videoed me singing and I was just trying to, you know, charge the class up, you know, and get them excited. But then they sent that video around and everybody was making fun of me, you know, and I think that's not nice, you know? Yeah. Because you're not not a good singer. Is that what you're saying? Right. Okay. Gotcha. I just want to make sure we were all on the same page. I was singing the song. To the tune of one is the loneliest number, but I changed it to prime and I sing this whole big dramatic song to the class without them knowing that I'm about to break out into musical song, you know. Do you want to do it right now? No. Okay. On a different subject, there was this new technology that I say it was new. It's it's called Made Safe Alert System. And for this particular company, um, the Lovejoy Independent School District in Texas was the first school district to buy this technology. And it is designed to act as um, basically an emergency beacon in the case of, God forbid, a school shooting or maybe even just a, a medical emergency with a student. But what's, it's so simple, really, I kind of wonder, like, do other districts have something similar? So I'll tell you what it is. It's basically just like you have your, your key fob on your key ring. When you're in the school, you have all teachers have a fob that attaches to their key ring, or I guess you want to say their lanyard or whatever. And it's basically a panic button. You hit that thing and it sends off uh, a message to designated people, whoever the district designates. So probably school resource officers, principals, and and several others, you know, and then it also immediately, um, I guess builds a, a map of exactly where that beacon was hit and like drops it on a 3d map in the school. Seems pretty simple and it seems not that hard to develop. Are you seeing anything like this? I don't, I've not heard of anything like that, but I think it's a great idea. It does. So right? many campuses are so spread out. Right. I mean, even where I am, I'm way away from the main pulse of the campus. And I feel like I'm the last to know when things happen or, you know, it's it's very hard to feel apart, but also get help when you need help. I mean, so yeah, I think that's a great idea. Like we just had a lockdown situation the other day. So if you're in a class, you don't know where the lockdown situation first arose. You know, like right. you don't know where the intruder is. So when you press this thing, would I be notified well, that's gonna be that up it to was the district. in the Hall B where I'm over in Hall F? That, that would be up to the district. I guess if they wanted to give the, the notification to go out to everyone, mm-hmm. I guess you would know. 
but they may just do key people. And, and there's probably the company and, and people who actually use the technology will probably have some best practices, you know, in terms of what you do. Because you don't, I could see someone, I've, I've accidentally set off my panic button on my car, you know, before like it happens. There's false mm-hmm. alarms. So you don't want to panic everybody. So it's probably better that you kind of keep the circle somewhat limited. Yeah. But then again, that's also very valuable information as well. And I just wonder, like, this this really isn't, you know, far-flung technology. Like, this is this seems, I don't want to say basic. I don't want to make it sound like the company's not doing anything, but it just seems like doable. it's pretty easy. Yeah, it's right. doable. Mm-hmm. So what, like, do, does, and I know you probably can't talk about specifics of procedures at your school just for security reasons, but, like, do you guys have anything like this? No. Yeah. and Nothing and, like it. We have... A call to the office, right? You know, so yeah. and so the which takes, I will it takes say, longer. That's a panic. You know, I had a mild panic situation with a child that got really sick mm-hmm. in the middle of class. You wouldn't believe how long it took me to find the number to call the office, just because I'm looking. You, you know, you're you're in a pressure situation with a child that's sick yeah. in front of everyone. You probably like put a little and label trying, on the phone well, or whatever it is you got. I finally, right? I did because yeah. I was like, okay, well that took me way too long to thumb through all these and find because it wasn't at the top. Right. You know, I was looking, I thought that would be the top number, but it wasn't. And when you're on a big campus, I mean, there's like 50 extensions. Right. And so, yeah. And then of course, when I phoned the extension, nobody answered. So if you think about that, that's why you're calling to yeah. say, Hey, I just saw somebody, an armed man, and no one answers, and nobody yeah. answers. You know, but if you could, you could definitely, you know, buzz something. Then they know that would be. They don't have to know exactly what. They just know something's going down. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't like to. I don't. I've never used this product. I don't know how it's going to work for the Lovejoy Independent School District. So I don't want to make it seem like we're endorsing it, but it just seems to make sense. So if anybody wants to check it out, it's called the NCO's Made Safe Alert System. Again. Not an endorsement, but it does exist. Such a scary thing. New teacher training across the nation. That's one of the main things that we are all trained on is what to do in a hostile situation. And I know that all these precious teachers are out there thinking, this isn't what I went to school for. Like, I don't know anything about any of this. And it is. It's so scary to think. But it it doesn't have to be that bad of a situation to to have a need to to hit that panic button. You, You may have a child having a seizure. Right. Um, you know, or I don't know what other type of, you know, incidents can happen, but it doesn't necessarily, you know, something could fall on a child and you need help. It's, it could be a heavy bookshelf. You know, you mm-hmm. just, it doesn't have to be the worst case scenario, which is a shooting, but it does seem like you need a, a fast system to be right. able to get help immediately. So Yeah. Or like a pager. Let's bring pagers back. Yeah. Well, essentially, that's what this is. <laughs> this is I think this is a modern pager uh, a pager type system and the mapping uh, function of it's good because you don't necessarily have to be attached to your classroom it's not like yeah, you're hitting a panel that's button. a good yeah. yeah you could be in the hallway and you see could something be on the playground and a child just had a double fracture i mean what if you you were headed to the bathroom and you know schools and cl- everyone's in class and you're like i gotta run to the restroom get somebody to cover and you're like walking through the hallways and the hallways are dead but you see somebody with a weapon trying to get in at a locked door you if you're in the hallway on the way to the restroom, you're five minutes probably from getting help or at least notifying mm-hmm. anybody. You have one of those, you hit the button, it just, it's just immediate, you know? Yeah. I don't know. It seems to make sense to me. Yeah. Um, anyhow, are you ready for the uh, bright idea? Yeah. 
Our guest in today's Bright Idea segment is an expert in the world of augmented reality and virtual reality in the classroom. Jamie Donnelly writes a column for Ed Surge and recently highlighted the topic. And she's also the creator of the ARVRNEDU.com website. Jamie, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm uh, really amped up about uh, talking about this topic because I really want to get into like some practical ideas about using uh, AR and VR or, or augmented reality and virtual reality. But before we, we dive into that, I want to bring up to speed any listeners that may need a refresher on what we're talking about when we say <laughs> AR and VR. So first, let's start with AR, uh, kind of make a, a, an easy example of, of what that is for our listeners. Sure. I think most people will probably need a refresher on that because that gets uh, twisted around quite a bit. And that's okay. That's just technology, right? Um, but augmented reality is looking through the lens. Uh, it could be your device. It could be glasses. Um, and it is uh, superimposing something digital. So it might be that I'm looking in my living room, but now I see a cat walking inside of my living room through my device, um, through that lens. Um, and then virtual reality is completely digital. So I'm not seeing any money anymore in my real world. I'm completely looking at something digital, whether that be a recording, whether that be something that somebody created digitally, um, whether it be a combination of both. But I'm no longer seeing my real world in virtual reality. But augmented reality, I'm, I'm seeing my real world with kind of an illusion layered on top of it. I guess the um, probably most widespread application that people might be familiar with, especially if they have kids, is probably Pokemon <laughs> Go for augmented reality, right? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, uh, definitely. And then I guess virtual reality, a lot of folks, I actually had an opportunity to try on a headset recently, but that's when you actually like put on a headset and and like you are immersed in this world and, and it's whatever the world you want it to be. I guess you could be watching a sporting event or you could be inside a video event, right? Exactly. Yeah, there's so many different ways of using virtual reality. We're actually seeing even a combination of both where in augmented reality, you have these AR portals. You walk through this portal in your real space, and now you're immersed into this virtual reality experience. So um, I think that there are so many different ways of using this technology, and we're definitely seeing an overlap between both of them. Uh, We usually just say immersive technology, you know, kind of all-encompassing all of those technologies, X are. Um, and so that, but ultimately, yes, you're right. There's some really cool technologies that are pretty practical. Google Expeditions is very popular in the classrooms uh, for VR. And like you said, Pokemon Go really gave that AR awareness to the masses. So you spent a lot of time in the classroom. You taught math for several years before becoming uh, an instructional technologist. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. That's correct. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so, so you have an understanding of the importance of not just taking a technology and dropping it off in the classroom and saying, all right, this is really <laughs> cool and this is new. Let's do this. Like, I want to talk about like practical ways we can actually get AR or VR in the classroom. Can you give me some, some real world experience? Absolutely. Well, I'll start off by saying that I was a math teacher, so I did not ever expect to do this, nor did I um, pursue this. It kind of just was an opportunity to write a book. So I have Learning Transported that I wrote with ISTE, came out in April. Um, and that book was solely on the purpose of giving that foundation of what is immersive technology in the classroom. You know, why do we need it? What is it? Where are the standards? You know, here are the resources. Um, so there was a lot that was packed into that little book of you know, that foundation, but it was really important because I think there's a lot of people that need more than just, Hey, I heard you at this conference for this hour. 
to now I really want to use this. How do I get into this? And really, how is this purposeful? So some of the issues that people typically face, and this is one of the things that I wanted to address in the Ed Surge article is kind of taking some of those aspects from the book of implementation and really looking at um, some of the key problems that I see faced is typically goals. You know, why are we using this technology? They come into it because they're excited about the technology and then they try to make their curriculum fit for it, which is a problem, right? I mean, we're not, we're not making, you know, technology is not the key and then making everything fit inside. Um, it really should be where are kids struggling? What are some of the things that they experiences that they need to have? What is some of the engagement that I couldn't do without this technology? So those types of things are kind of the mentality coming in. Oftentimes, districts come in and say, okay, we just went and bought this. Well, you know, okay, that's great for that one purpose. But, you know, they haven't really thought about the bigger picture that there's a lot more technology you can do with other devices that are similar to what you're trying to accomplish here. Um, so they just don't, an awareness of the fact that they don't have to go out and buy this expensive kit that oftentimes brings about many more problems uh, when they do buy it, such as, you know, cleaning, um, you know, the coordination of where these devices are going to go and where the calendar, the maintenance, the training, all of these other problems that are presented when going out and making those purchases. So, you know, those are some of the things that I typically address. I'm a huge advocate of using the tools that we already have, not going out and making massive purchases, but using the tools that are in our classrooms today, like iPads or Chromebooks. And so, or even, you know, BYOD, so our students bringing in their own devices. So um, really providing the resources from an app based, as opposed to going out and buying, you know, new hardware that needs training or a new computer that is not the norm that you have to have functioning. Um, so I think just from a practical sense, I think there's a lot of issues people will run into if they haven't really come up with a great plan of action to begin with. So I hear what you're saying there. You just maybe, you know, use, use that device, use that phone, use that iPad, um, before you go and purchase something. But what's something that, you know, if you're a teacher and you're just trying this out that you should jump in just to get some, you know, your feet wet with it. Is there an app that you can download that you recommend? Uh, you know what? That's I always, always get that question, <laughs> and I always come back with the same response, which is never enough, I don't think, because I think a lot of people want to have just like, let's give me the tools right now. Um, I think that really depends, and, and that's part of the problem that I think we face is because when we start talking about these technologies, um, people want just tell me what to start off with and let me run with it. Um, and I'll give you some ideas for sure, some easy implementation, some easy tools to get started with. But I think the problem is, is that we, there's, that's so broad. There's so many different ways of using so many different tools. And if I don't really know one, what devices you're starting with two, uh, the experience of your educators, the, you know, it's everybody on board. You got your technology department on board for using this. Um, and then three, you know, like, Obviously, the most important is where does this line up with your curriculum? You know, where is this? Where are your standards that you want to accomplish? Because there's so many different tools that I would recommend based upon those answers. Um, and again, I get you know principals calling me, and I want to make this purchase. Um, this is what we're thinking. This is what we want to do, and we always leave with more questions and answers right then. And then we come back after they've really, really reflected on like 
those answers, you know, how, what are we trying to accomplish with this? What is beyond this? Wow. Right. Um, and then once we have that, then it's like, okay, yeah, here's some great resources. Um, I think there's some things floating around that are super popular and all of us really are excited about. Um, some of which I mentioned in the article in EdSurge, and that is, you know, Merge is doing a great job with AR and VR right now. Mm -hmm. They're bringing in uh, the resources. They're not always the ones that are developing it, but they are the ones that are kind of the, uh, just like me, you know, I'm, I'm connecting the dots and trying to help support um, an awareness of what's out there. And then they're using their resources like the goggles, which are, you know, great, great resources for the classroom. They're, they work for a classroom as far as safety and um, effectiveness and, and just clarity of using the devices. So um, there's some good stuff going on there. And then uh, they have merge cubes that were released and those are just going crazy because every developer out there can make some really cool stuff using the same cube. So instead of having to buy different things for different apps, um, so that that's a great resource. Um, CoSpaces is actually a partner with uh, Merge as well. They've partnered up to make sure that whatever you're creating in virtual worlds with CoSpaces can now be displayed in augmented reality on their Merge cubes um, as well as in their space. So some of those different um, resources, I think, are helping to make something very complex, something kind of outside of anybody's specialty as educators, you know, most educators are not going to have this down and not going to be tech savvy enough to create their own content. Um, but to have something that's simplistic and very easy to implement and requires minimal um, technology knowledge, but can easily just download something and then jump right into jump right into it, I think is really powerful. Um, I know you also on that article mentioned um, Nearpod and AR Portal, uh, and I'll put mm -hmm. a link in the show to the article if anybody wants to go check that out. Um, are you familiar with, um, we did an episode back uh, a few months ago with GeoGebra, which was a, they had mm -hmm. an augmented reality um, graphing tool, I guess. And do you see it being a math teacher, um, a three-dimensional augmented reality graphing calculator making sense in the classroom? Yes, definitely. There's been some great AR, VR content coming out. Um, it's really hard to find for math. It's it's one of those like one of those subjects that are probably one of the most difficult to find. There's a lot out there on social studies. Um, there's a lot out there on, uh, you know, obviously when we're talking about science, you're seeing experiments and you're seeing um, different engagement within the content that they have. So I think even language arts, I think there's an application for writing about what you're experiencing or uh, reading about those experiences. So I think that when you're talking about those subjects, are they're easier to connect the dots, whereas math is like, okay, that's that's cool, but do we really need that? You know, is that something that is necessary for the math classroom for the students to make the connection? And I love geometry, but I hated algebra. So it was like love-hate. My daughter, on the other hand, who's 16, loves algebra, hates geometry. So she's just like uh, completely on the flip side. So um, I hear that a lot, you know, I hear kind of one way or the other, but I think in understanding how different brains function, sometimes it's more than just me verbally explaining it. Sometimes it's more than me just handing you an object and you making sense of that or us writing it down a hundred times before you finally get it on a piece of paper. But sometimes the manipulation of those objects is important, but we can't necessarily do that all the time. Sometimes it takes the digital 
layer of this augmented or virtual reality experience. It gives you a chance to experience that learning in a way that you couldn't do otherwise. And like the, one of the apps that I demonstrated or shared a little bit about uh, was Shapes 3D. They're coming out with some really cool stuff. They have a Shapes uh, drawing app that it just got released this week. And um, they, you're able to manipulate, you're able to look at the net, you're able to look at bisecting angles and lines and planes, and um, you're able to identify your edges and uh, vertices. So I think that there's some really cool ways of using that technology, and it's on the cube. So they did a great job at connecting with Merge and making sure that their product is something that could be available on a Chromebook, on a you know tablet, on a phone. Um, through augmented reality, if you don't have the updated devices to have it in your space. So there's like a, an assortment of using it. And I think that's really important right now looking at the flexibility of the platform. If we, if we only have it on one thing, you're less likely to really hit the masses. And that's an injustice for our kids if they don't all have a chance to experience that based upon the various devices in the classroom. So um, seeing that cross-platform is, I think, really cool, and I'm excited to see where it's going. Let's dream a little bit. We'll look into the future <laughs> since you're kind of on the, the cutting edge. How far away are we from a time where students will all be sitting at their desk and they're going to be using their phone or their goggles provided by the school or whatever and basically putting those on their head as a classroom, as a whole, everyone's got one, and you're going on a field trip to wherever you want, whether it's Washington, D.C. or Australia or any type of unit or even something back in time where you, you have this created world back in the time of the Civil War. How far are we from that actually being practical and and you're not having technical issues and someone's goggles aren't breaking? And Are, are we are we 10 years away, 20 years away? Are we five years away? Um, well, we have it right now. Google Expeditions is doing something very similar. Uh, people have went out and bought those kits. And um, they're now you, you mentioned technical issues, so that just scratched that. Um, but I think that we can definitely see a future. And they've continued to improve Google Expeditions as far as more of just, I mean, experience. And I think this is really important in AR, VR to I'm, I'm interacting with the content and I'm a producer of content. So my students actually being the ones to create, which I think CoSpaces does a fantastic job at. They've created a platform for you to make these VR experiences. And our students are able to demonstrate knowledge in a way that's really never been possible at this simplistic way. Um, so I think that we're there. I just don't think a lot of people know that we're there. Um, I think people feel like they have to go out and get goggles to do VR. When for me, I'll be honest, it's novelty. Um, I do that on very few occasions to actually go grab my goggles and go inside this viewing experience of VR. There are exceptions to that where you have your higher end devices um, that are going to bring you to a, a, an experience outside of your typical devices you have like mobile or tablet but really going in this immersive like you said putting on a headset like an HTC Vive or Oculus Rift or in my case I have an Oculus Go and so uh, those experiences are super intense I just don't think we're at a place in education to where it's really has the content to back up or justified making a purchase like that um, so I think that the, again we're we're definitely at a place where it's available and if you have the right teachers knowing the right content they can do it right now. Um, it's just there. I think it's going to take some time to really define what that looks like in education, as opposed to just 
gaming or entertainment. What's an example where you've seen AR or VR have a, a real impact on a student? Have you seen that with your own eyes? I have. I have. Um, there's an app out there. AR Kit was released last summer, um, 2017, by Apple for developers. And um, all of the apps that were being developed and, and released with AR Kit are more of our newer devices. So um, it's picking up your, your floor and your wall, and it's picking up your um, lighting in your room. So it's able to kind of track. They call it service tracking, where you can walk around and pick up the fact that I can walk around objects now instead of having, like a merge cube, something to tie that object to that spot, right? Um, so with um, ARKit, though, they've released amazing apps, super realistic experiences. ARKit 2 has been released this summer where it's um, even collaborative. So even like you and I, Nick, could be playing in a game while we're talking right now. Um, whereas, you know, all in augmented reality in my space and in your space, I think that's pretty powerful. So thinking about where that's going, it's pretty phenomenal. But I, when that was first released, I was beta testing a lot of the apps, um, at, before they were released and, and looking at them obviously very carefully. I do have a post out there with EdSearch on the AR kit released, um, last year. And one of the apps that I ran across was catchy AR. Um, catchy words AR later it became. And at the time I thought, well, that's, that's kind of dumb. And maybe I said that because I was a math teacher and I just didn't see the relevance, but it was like letters up in the space and they had to go get it with their device. The letters that were all floating around their, their area, they had to get it with their device and then put it in this box and then they made a word. So it was like a virtual, you know, I don't know, hangman, right? Um, so I, I thought, well, that's kind of dumb. I didn't even invest a whole lot of time until my nine-year-old daughter, who is dyslexic, was really struggling this past year with vocabulary words. And so her, her struggle in this was that she just, as much as we kind of drilled and killed her with it, you know, write this down, speak it out loud, let's do this, let's do that, just constant about her memorizing how to spell these words. Um, then finally got to the point where I was like, you know what, this app just came out. I can type in your vocabulary word here and you can then get up with the device and you have to go capture. You have to grab those letters that are all floating around in your space, all twisted and turned mm. and brought down to the right spot. Let's, let's see how that works out. So she played the game and it took her a while. She was getting up and physically walking around the letters. So her brain's activated because she's up and active. But um, in addition, because the letters are twisted in turn for her being a dyslexic student, that was even a bigger struggle. And then she had to go grab that letter and then move it to the right spot with not knowing what that letter was going to, what that word was going to spell out. And then she had to go back and manipulate what letters was where to make sure she had the right, correct spelling. It took her one time of doing this game that she actually got it. She retained it, long-term retained it. And I think the reason why we can look and reflect on this is because physically she's up and active. So I think Air Kit's doing some great stuff in that way. Two is because her brain had to work so hard in this activity, she, her brain wasn't going to lose it. it. It had to work for that information. So it was ready to hold on to it for as long as it needed to. So it didn't have to work that hard again. And so her getting and doing it in this way, for her particularly learning this way, was so essential and it's not available. If I had letters twisted and turned in my space, I couldn't have it floating around unless I was dangling it with a string or, mm -hmm. you know, unless I 
had to do that every single time, well, then she'd figure it out real quick what, where I stick in letters and whatnot. So there's, there's something to be said about that particular app and the way that even though they didn't know that this was going to help a student that was dyslexic at the time, they did create an app that was very effective on the various learning um, strategies our students need in order to be successful. Um, I have a, a bunch of other stories, but I'll, I'll tell you that um, that is very personal to me and to see that that can help our, the diversity of learning for all of our students in just one app. Think about what these other going to these places, in, engaged in interacting with these different you know, molecules that we talk about in science and having a chance to globally collaborate in this 360 environment, which is very uh, realistic and obviously where we need to be right now. There's so many different aspects to this technology that I think is um, hitting home. I think the technologies in the past were before its time. You know, you talk about Google Glass, it didn't make. Mm. It was before its time, but now people are hungry and ready and they're ready to take that risk and jump into it because the tools now are made for the everyday user. That is uh, really cool. I appreciate you sharing that uh, that personal story with us as well. It's it's neat to see that it does really have an impact. I know we're just scratching the surface here, um, but if anybody wants to uh, dive a little deeper, again, your website is it's A R V R N E D U. In other words, it's A R V R I N E D U dot com. And um, you mentioned your book earlier. I want to mention it again. You said it's Learning Transported. There's a link to um, how you can purchase it on your website, but it's also on Amazon, right? So I imagine you can just type in Learning Transported, correct? Absolutely. And if you're a NISTI member, then you can get a discount on that as well. So um, yeah, there's, and you know, there's resources I'm sharing out. I'm going and providing professional development at, at most of the major conferences as far as augmented and virtual reality, the national conferences and it's really starting to build the enthusiasm uh, from educators, which is really cool. I also host a weekly chat every Wednesday evening, ARVR and EDU. Um, that hashtag is used every Wednesday evening to talk. And uh, this Wednesday, we're actually doing our first live event. So it'll be a live video chat that will be streamed in Twitter. Um, and people can uh, jump in and be part of that discussion and uh, every last Wednesday of the month, we'll be doing that as well. Um, yeah, in fact, you, you've amassed a pretty big Twitter following. It's, uh, your handle is Jamie Donnelly, but I'm going to spell that because <laughs> as you probably well know, you, Jamie might throw some people off. It's J-A-I-M-E-D-O-N-A-L-L-Y, right? That's true. Yeah. First and last has a funky spelling. So yeah. I try to just let people know up front. <laughs> well, Jamie, are you ready for our pop quiz? I am. All right, first question. If students could only go to school for one subject, which subject should it be? I think language arts. Okay. <laughs> I think the, yeah, which is interesting because that's probably my biggest struggle. Does everybody answer that? The, no, no, whatever their I, struggle is? I get them all across the board. I think last week I had music, so you just, oh. you just never know where, where folks are going to go. Um, what are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching? I think we're not giving our kids a chance to be creative. I think we ask them to perform based upon what we think is important, but we're not giving our students a chance to really show us what they're capable of doing. We limit them. Um, and I'll mention this is I do an event every year called Global Maker Day, and we'll host that in October. We're actually going to be in New York hosting at a school at Lakeshore Central School District. And um, we have give the kids a chance to create 
and there's no parameters. We give ideas and suggestions and the kids create amazing things and what they post and what they share is phenomenal. So I think that is where we're really struggling uh, in the traditional educational classroom. What does every child deserve? I think every child deserves to know that they're loved, that they have people that believe in them and um, that you know, everything that they go through is purposeful. So um, having people come alongside them to help support them through the hard times and good times. And um, I think every kid should have that support and available to them. What's the biggest challenge for today's educators? I think the biggest challenge is we make a lot of small stuff big and a lot of big stuff small. We kind of lose track of what we're doing with our students and we get caught up into all the meetings and logistics of paperwork and um, overwhelmed by all the small stuff, whether that come from our admin, whether it come from ourselves, whatever that might be. Um, the per- perfection of our classroom, the way it looks, the way, you know, everything functions. And we kind of lose track of like why we're doing what we're doing. So we invest too much time into those small things and not enough into the things that really matter. What's the best gift to give an educator? I think the best gift we can give to educators is just sharing a story about how they've impacted your life. Um, That is so encouraging when you're kind of going through it and every day coming back and being like, I'm going to do this again tomorrow and do that again the next day. And it can be very exhausting and, and it's hard on you and your body and your family and everybody else around you, but it's worth it. So to hear those stories is just rejuvenating and really empowering to our educators to keep going forward. Uh, you just teed up my next question, which is which teacher changed your life? Oh, geez. Um, you know what? I was not the best student. I was a student that probably shouldn't be an educator. Um, I kind of goofed off. I got by with whatever was minimal and didn't really excel or do great things. I did just whatever was sometimes less than the bare minimum and, and, you know, got away with it. Um, but I will say that, um, the teachers that I can look back on and think about those people that, um, made a difference in my life were the people that built relationships with me. Um, and so I have a teacher in high school that I had, and one of my English teachers who, um, was an area struggle and something that I didn't enjoy doing, but I loved going to her class because she and I had a relationship together and she really genuinely cared for me. So, um, it wasn't, it wasn't somebody that motivated me to become an educator. I didn't even think I would become an educator, but, um, I think it was somebody that was genuine and I think that really made a difference for me. Last question, pen or pencil? (laughs) Well, I am. I was a math teacher, so I think I'll go with pencil. All right. Again, Jamie Donnelly, (laughs) we appreciate you taking the time to chat. It's been a lot of fun. And, uh, again, that website is arvrnedu.com. Thank you, Nick. That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. We want to hear from you, so if you want to send us an idea or comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So if you like what you heard today, please be sure and hit that subscribe button, and we'd also love it if you'd leave us a five-star review. Don't forget you can connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash classdismissedpodcast or on Twitter. 
Just search for us by typing in class dismiss. On behalf of Russ with school status and Lissa representing all the teachers out there, I'm Nick Ortigo, and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed. Thank you.